The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A Prime Minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. All eyes are on Ukraine for the moment. The US says that an invasion may be imminent while Russia has accused the West of whipping up hysteria. In the coming days, Boris Johnson will speak to European leaders to discuss how to deter a potential invasion. Government Minister Brandon Lewis told Sky that Moscow wouldn't be allowed to get away with an attack. Should Russia take a different course of action, there will be repercussions for that because it cannot be acceptable that an independent state, a democratic state, has that kind of threat put upon it, let alone that kind of incursion should it happen. Russia has repeatedly denied it has any plans to invade. Meanwhile, the government is aiming to create a smaller state as it shifts policy to living with the coronavirus. The country has spent £400 billion fighting the pandemic and now wants to step back from people's lives. That's according to Downing Street's new chief of staff, Steve Barclay, uh, in a letter that was published in The Telegraph. Johnson is due to announce a new strategy after Parliament's recess, which is this week, of course. It comes as the UK is dealing with surging cost of living problems with essentials like energy and food climbing. Well, let's speak to our first guest this morning, Welsh Economy Minister Vaughan Gething and also member of the Welsh Parliament for Cardiff South and Penarth. Vaughan, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, Wales is relaxing many, most restrictions, but it is keeping the self-isolation requirement. Do you accept that it's going to need to go at some point as we learn to live with the virus? Yes, at some point, uh, we think we will be in the right position to not have a legal requirement uh, to isolate. But we've taken on board the advice of our chief medical officer, our scientific advisor as well, and we don't think we've reached that point yet. Uh, I was able to set up on Friday, and it was me who set it up, because the first minister is actually self-isolating with COVID, a pathway to a likely decision point at the start of March to see if those final requirements would go at the end of March. So it is still an optimistic pathway forward. It's not one uh, that is being rushed forward, potentially for other reasons. Is COVID worse than in Wales at the moment, or are you just making a, making a different decision on that because of the advice? Uh, we've regularly had a different risk appetite to ministers in England. They've broadly been prepared to take greater risks um, with public health to generate more economic activity. Now, that has its own challenges because workers can't go to work when COVID is circulating in high numbers, as well as the harm that goes through our health and care system. And unfortunately, there are still people losing their lives. Actually, COVID rates in Wales are slightly lower than in England. The ONS infection survey that does a large sample of people across the UK and then gives you rates for each of the four countries. Rates fell slightly in Wales uh, and they rose slightly in Scotland and England and there's a pretty sharp rise in Northern Ireland. 
What we've done, though, is we've met our own scientific experts and public health advisors to plot through a predictable path to getting to the end of restrictions. If everything remains uh, relatively stable, then that's a position we can get to. And when the Prime Minister made his announcement before Prime Minister's questions, which in itself was unusual, I couldn't see that say he's given advice on that accelerated pathway. The chief medical officer uh, certainly hadn't spoken to his counterparts uh, in the other nations of the UK. And I couldn't there was any kind of scientific or public health underpinning to the choice. But ultimately, ministers do have to decide. I think it's better to do it on the best available evidence and advice. Okay, is there a problem at the heart of devolution? We're more than 20 years in. If Wales chooses to take less risk, but you admit that that's because there's a different economic balance that's being taken in England versus Wales, and yet Wales wants extra funding, for example, from the government. You've called for a billion pounds of government funding as part of levelling up. Is there a problem now at the heart of devolution that perhaps was unforeseen, which is that it weakens the whole structure of the, of the UK, that Wales doesn't have responsibility for generating that economic, uh, uh, economic necessity in the UK, but it has responsibility for the health outcome? Uh, no, I think that's fundamentally wrong. There are two very different things here. There's the choices we make about handling the pandemic. And the pandemic has always been a public health emergency. It's always been an economic crisis as well. Uh, and actually, on that, you know, we're being serious about the science, the evidence and the advice. Uh, and I can't really uh, explain to you uh, properly why the Prime Minister is not doing that as far as England's concerned. That shouldn't mean that every other country has to throw the mm. science, the evidence in the air and the pandemic. On leveling leveling up, there's an entirely different question. The billion pounds is money that we are losing. There was a straightforward breach of a manifesto promise about every nation of the UK getting the same funds if we were still within the European Union. What the Conservative government has done is they've taken back the powers from Brussels, they've largely stopped in London, and the money has absolutely stopped in London. Mm. It isn't that we're demanding extra money, we're just... We just want what we were promised, which is the same level of resource. And we've made those decisions on that resource for the last 20 years in the yeah. Welsh Government. And you don't need to look my word for it. The Financial Times did an investigation on this a couple of weeks ago when they said that the Treasury's um, explanations about what was happening were hooey. Not a word that I've used for a long time, um, but they were pretty <laughs> dismissive of the Treasury line that actually Wales getting all the money that it could okay. and should I'll, I'll, we'll delve into the levelling up um, the specifics in a minute. But to go back to the point around health versus economics, um, the Prime Minister and the government in Westminster are judged politically on the economic and health outcomes combined, aren't they? The issue that, as I sit with devolution, is that Wales is judged for the health outcomes, but not at perhaps as much or overall for the economic outcome. And there is, you know, there are simply different agendas here and that that, that is problematic. No, I don't think so, actually, because look, I'm the Minister of the Economy here in Wales. So mm-hmm. when we had public health protection measures around Christmas, we introduced a package of economic support from the budgets that we have. We've always had to balance the risk uh, of harm directly from COVID uh, and the indirect risk, including the indirect risk to physical and mental health and measures we've taken and the challenges for the economy as well. So as we've moved through, we've always had to balance those different areas of harm and benefit 
and we've provided support from our own budgets to support the economy here in Wales. And actually, Cardiff University Business School did an assessment. They've talked to a number of businesses, and they said that during the pandemic, the support from the Welsh government was as important as furlough support for businesses to keep functioning. Uh, and I make businesses in my own patch locally, and they were very positive about the support that they've had to keep small and medium-sized businesses running during the most recent period of time. So we've always balanced the needs of the economy as well as the public health needs in managing the pandemic. And the public certainly do judge us on the way that we support businesses as well as the care we've taken not to have unacceptable public health harm because of the choices we make. Well, I know the Welsh Government is unhappy at uh, funds lost as a result of leaving uh, the European Union. Most economists see the economy as being uh, 4% uh, smaller, GDP as being 4% smaller as a result of Brexit. Isn't it realistic to to, to realise that there's going to be less money to spend uh, in Wales? And shouldn't the Welsh Government uh, get on with growing the economy itself rather than worrying about funds f- from Westminster? Um, well, it's quite as simple as dismissing as worrying about funds because Actually, there are straightforward promises made about leaving the European Union not resulting in funding reductions, not just for Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and regions of England too. There was a very clear promise in the Conservative Manifesto in 2019, I think it's on page 44, that there would be no reduction in funding. So the promise has been broken and the difficulty isn't just the promise has been broken, we're being told that there isn't a broken promise. Whereas when you look at the Shared Prosperity Fund, when the Chancellor set out his plans, there very clearly is a reduction. And I would have used that money in my role for supporting things like business support, extra money to go into training, investment and apprenticeships. Now, because I don't have that money, that means that I have to make choices about not supporting other parts of the economy because... I then got because I want to maintain the training and apprenticeship program. I announced three hundred sixty-six million pounds last week to invest in our apprenticeship program, uh, but I know that other things I can't do, and it'll affect research, development, and innovation. So it has a real impact on the economy in not having the resources that we have uh, for the last twenty years had. And there was a straightforward promise that we would continue to have access to those funds. Mm. So it isn't just an issue for Wales; it's an issue for every part of the UK. And it's also just an issue about people telling the truth. Almost one in five people in Wales are on the NHS waiting list. Why is that proportion so much higher than in England? Is that also a funding question or is that something else? No, well, when we started before the pandemic, we had slightly higher waiting lists in Wales than in England in any event. Um, We'd made real progress on waiting. We've invested a lot in health. Uh, and social care, and I know that because I was the health minister, uh, and we then had the impact of the pandemic. And we've always had, well, Wales is a an older and a poorer country overall than England and has mm. therefore has um, larger challenges in terms of healthcare and the burden of disease. Now, that's got worse during the pandemic. So we know we've got a significant challenge, and we've been mm. upfront with people who think it'll take the rest of this Senate term to get back onto an even keel and to eat into those waiting. If we're starting to see the increases uh, reduce, which is broadly good news, but it's going to be really difficult for both people who are waiting for treatment, but also the staff who have had to go significantly above and beyond for the last two years. They're broadly the same people who are now going to ask to help address that backlog. If you want to be positive, though, there is an, uh, there is an opportunity driven by necessity 
to end up having a more efficient health service again, and one that really focuses on what matters to people in terms of their treatment outcomes as well. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's James Wilcock. James, good to have you in the studio again. So... Boris Johnson is travelling to Scotland for his charm offensive. The focus is on Ukraine and it's parliamentary recess. So uh, is he going to escape party gates sort of unscathed? This, of course, at a time when, you know, par- Parliament is out. I mean, it's interesting idea of here's what you do if you've got a week off. You go to Scotland, have a holiday and <laughs> figure out if you're going to war with Russia in the next week or so. Um, certainly, it's the idea that the pressure is off until recess happens. You can't have a no confidence vote while sure. Parliament isn't there. How... Ever just over the weekend, I think late on Friday, the police sent him and 49 other sort of Downing Street employees a questionnaire of what they did. It was worth noting some criminal barristers that they've never seen a questionnaire deployed in any kind of criminal proceedings before. Um, that sort of has actually spurred a lot of advisors to think that the Met sort of inquiry that many had hoped would push the issue months down the line could come a lot faster than expected, especially mm-hmm. if it's something like a fixed penalty notice, which you'd get for like a speeding ticket. I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds of if you, uh, getting a speeding the equivalent of a speeding ticket is a resigning matter. According to legal experts, it probably isn't, but that will come back to has Johnson misled Parliament. Sure. Although this is a week off, that thing is still ticking onwards. A lot of what his advisors are hoping is the PM's strong stance on Ukraine and sort of stuff like going to Scotland today, which is seen as a sort of a charm offence of keeping Scotland inside the union, might be a way of Johnson sort of demonstrating to Tories he's still got the now sort of political know-how to sort of run the country and lead the job. That kind of charm offensive, Valentine's Day is a good day to kick it off as any. That charm offensive is tricky though, isn't it? It's tricky for Conservative Prime Ministers. Boris Johnson is the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. He believes like all Tories passionately in the union, but a lot of people in Scotland don't like the Tories and even more of them don't like Boris Johnson. So how does he how does he square that circle? I mean, it's worth pointing out, if we look at sort of the electoral system, the UK obviously lives in first past the post, which means that it sort of skews results very clearly. 30% or more of people in Scotland still vote Conservative. It's just they don't turn out very many MPs. But no, the divide is real, though, and it, Scotland has always been, before it voted SNP, a Labour heartland. It tends to be more left-wing. It's also worth noting that the Scottish Tories, like Ruth Davidson and uh, Douglas Ross, were the first to condemn Johnson over sort of his Partygate issues. So it's a very sort of uphill battle, and it's not something you can just sort of win by throwing more money at the issue. It's also something that Johnson has to balance with his own English MPs. Someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg has long been interested in what he calls the West Lothian question, the idea being that Scottish, Welsh and Northern Ireland MPs can vote on legislation that only affects England. So the issue of how to keep the UK together is always going to be a fractious and difficult one. It's one that Johnson can't sort of fix overnight or in one trip up there. The difficulty now arises is that something that he is now trying to show that he still has his eye on the ball, his own MPs can say, 
okay, but you haven't been up to Scotland in like three, four months as a minimum. You've been distracted by COVID. You've been distracted by now party gates. Is this all too little too late? Is it sort of a Valentine's Day sort of dinner organised on the Sunday night before the Monday? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't venture to answer that question. James, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg's James Walcock there just to bring us up to speed with what's happening in politics today. Great stuff. Thanks, James. Well, let's switch focus now and discuss uh, the vaccine and the variants. Joining us now is Louise Blair, who leads the COVID-19 vaccines and variants team at Airfinity. Louise, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Bloomberg Westminster again. Uh, How prepared are we in the UK for uh, another variant uh, if it comes along, if and when it comes along? Yes, well, we don't think uh, Omicron is going to be the last variant, unfortunately, that we're going to see. Um, And it is really uh, different measures that we can uh, prepare for if there is a new variant to emerge. So tactics that we've seen so far is ensuring uh, population is very well protected in terms of vaccines, but the country can also introduce other measures, um, for example, social distancing, um, uh, mask wearing, as well as other non-pharmaceutical interventions to help control the spread until we really understand um, the new variant in detail. But um, we did see over when uh, the period when Omicron emerged, a lot of data came out very quickly. So we are uh, becoming more and more uh, prepared uh, with new variants emerging over the course of the pandemic. On, on the emergence of a, of a new variant, just talk us through how, how that might emerge. Presumably it would need to be more transmissible than, than Omicron. Have I, have I got the, the basics wrong on that? Yes, no, in, in order to outcompete Omicron, which, uh, yes, we have seen to be um, more transmissible than any, any variant, a new variant would really need to be uh, even more transmissible than Omicron in order to outcompete it. So um, in terms of transmission, and if you can recall back to the early stages of the pandemic, our north of um, the original strain was around three, uh, but we've really seen uh, Omicron now uh, estimated our north of 10. So you can really see how that has increased. But in terms of uh, how a new variant can emerge, uh, there are many theories of of where a new variant can come from. So uh, one example could be uh, that the virus really incubates within someone that is immunocompromised, that cannot uh, be as protected from uh, vaccines and has an immunocondition that means that they don't clear the virus effectively, which means it can gain mutations within an individual over time. Now, that could then spread to others, especially if it has immune uh, escape properties, Uh, but it's more likely to spread in in, uh, a population that has lower vaccine or lower booster coverage. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are also other theories of uh, emergence from animal um, populations as well. Okay, so various theories, but it does seem to be that a lot of experts are warning that, you know, this may not be the end of variants of concern or other um, difficult strains that we have to deal with. How well prepared are we um, then in terms of of the variant and how wise is it for us to drop all the COVID measures that the UK has, or at least a a good portion of them, just... um, you know, the, the UK at some point may also drop uh, mandatory self-isolation, but that's not yet. Should we be dropping COVID measures now in the UK? Well, I guess in terms of the current uh, variant that we have circulating, so the majority of, uh, of cases are really uh, the Omicron uh, variant of concern. And there's uh, current analysis suggesting that current behaviour 
is suppressing transmission by 20 to 45 percent. So really reducing uh, uh, any of those restrictions and, and uh, individuals becoming, I, I guess, returning back to work more frequently and those sure. behaviours, we could really see a transmission uh, increase uh, over time. In terms of a new variant, um, there's, uh, yes, concerns that it would need to be more transmissible, but also there's no guarantee that the, the new variant will be um, uh, less severe uh, than Omicron or, or less severe than other uh, variants of concern. So it may be that although we reduce restrictions now, uh, some non-pharmaceutical interventions may need to be brought in, at least until we really understand the characteristics of a new uh, emerging variant. That's very interesting. So reducing transmission by 20 to 45 percent, that's... Uh... That is quite a lot. Now, Israel is already giving fourth vaccine doses. Do we need to be doing that or at least planning to do that? And and do you have any worries about the effect on people's immune response of repeated doses, uh, you know, potentially a fourth, fifth, sixth dose? Yes, we are seeing uh, vaccine effectiveness be really impacted by Omicron, um, more so than uh, Delta and other variants that we've seen so far. And while the biggest impact is on protection against infection. We are also seeing protection against hospitalisation uh, wane. So um, recent data has come out from the US that really um, is in line with what we've seen from the UK as well in terms of over a period of four months, there's a reduction in protection to 10 to 15 percent. And that's against hospitalisation. So um, really extrapolating that, it could be up to 45 percent reduction in protection over the course of a year. So um, in terms of really to protect populations against hospitalisation, uh, we will likely see many nations uh, introduce a fourth dose. Okay, so that's a fourth dose. There's also um, in the UK uh, a, a debate around mass jabs for five to eleven year olds. They've been approved, but we, uh, in terms of their safety, but but not sort of the actual rollout. Various reports about whether that is um, going to happen or not. How imminent do you think it is? How helpful would it be to have five to eleven year olds, sort of more broadly, the, the very young ones, um, jabbed against the the virus? Well, we do see transmission um, uh, rates being a lot higher in younger age groups, a lot more mixing, uh, for example, in the, these younger uh, age groups, these two higher transmissions. So vaccinations could uh, prevent against uh, that as well. And although um, COVID doesn't impact these younger age groups as much, in terms of the high case rates that we've recently seen, that has led to increases in uh, hospitalizations and, and, and deaths in these age groups as well, albeit not so um, to the same level as older uh, groups in the population. So it is, it is thought that vaccination could help prevent uh, these hospitalizations and deaths that we're seeing in, the, in these younger age groups, and therefore, especially at a period where case rates are high, um, this could be beneficial. And just briefly, bring us up to date with, with vaccine research. Is there anything new on the horizon, any sort of good news we can look forward to uh, later in the year, or, or is most of that kind of out of the way now? now there's a lot uh, still going on in terms of vaccine research. We're seeing uh, not only uh, variant-targeting vaccines, so, for example, Omicron-specific boosters being investigated, uh, and, and more. we're expecting more uh, details and data to come out on those vaccines, but also uh, vaccines with alternative administration routes as well. So um, instead of intramuscular or needle administration, uh, intranasal uh, 
delivery of vaccines as well. So, as we've said, it's, it's likely that we'll need boosters going forward um, mm. to help us protect against COVID. Yeah. And therefore, if it's easier to administer uh, these vaccines, uh, that could help with the rollout. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.